0: Welcome to Gospel Perspectives on World History, and I'm your host, Michael Stone. Thank you for joining us on this inaugural episode as we begin looking at the secular history of the world through the lens of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. While this podcast is primarily geared towards members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, anyone who has an interest in topics of faith and history are welcome to join us. And, as an important legal notice, While I do intend to center what I share as much as possible on the verified details of the historical record and on ancient and modern scripture approved by the Church, I do want to stress that the views I share here do not necessarily represent official doctrine, policy, or the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that I take full responsibility for the content and programming of this podcast. But now, without further ado, we'll go ahead and begin our exploration of gospel perspectives on world history. And while I've been somewhat apprehensive about making this the upcoming topic, the very first one we cover, I just really can't think of any more logical starting point for this podcast than the topic of human origins. Now, a topic as loaded as this one uh, deserves something of a disclaimer, and I can think of no better way to convey this disclaimer than to share my own experience in learning about it. And I'll begin that story with... Okay, here we go. Wait for it. Here it comes. Okay, Uh, I'll, I'll just say the word... Evolution. For many years, whenever I heard that word, I'd feel this grumbling anger bubble up in me. I saw the idea of evolution as little more than just another one of the many different attempts to get Christians like me to admit that God did not create us and that He therefore did not exist. When I took my science classes in junior high and high school, I'd fill in the answers that I knew my teachers wanted to see on my tests, but I was left dissatisfied with the idea and convinced that either evolution was true or the gospel wasn't. And because I knew the gospel was true, that must mean that evolution wasn't. So as a teenager, I even read President Joseph Fielding Smith's answers to gospel questions, including his answer to questions about evolution. And at that time, I felt that his argument, that since death could not exist before the fall, that there could not have been evolution prior to Adam, that, well, I just thought that that was a compelling argument and something that was good enough for me. And then after serving a mission in Slovakia, I returned home and I went to college. My profession of choice at that time, I wanted to be a doctor. So of course, while I was at Utah Valley University, Each of my introductory courses relating to the biological sciences all extensively covered the topic of evolution. Being fresh off my mission and confident in the teaching that all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole, I braced myself for what I had assumed were going to be the inevitable missing gaps in the evolutionary record. I had my smirk ready for when I'd see a professor shrug his shoulders and confess that evolution was, after all, still only a theory, A kind of a a best guess attempt at explaining the wonderful miracle of the appearance of human life. And I'll confess to you now that all those expectations that I had were shot. They were busted. They just fell through. There just wasn't one or two concrete links between primates and modern men. The instructors that I was learning from showcased dozens upon dozens of specimens that were not so missing links between the two. My reaction... I dismissed it. I shook my head. These experts couldn't possibly have gotten their math right. There, there could be a whole myriad of explanations as to why these skeletons existed and why they were as old as they were tested to be. Couldn't there be? Still, this inner frustration over the matter didn't result me in doing or saying anything until I had one professor at the university share some disclaimers before he got into his lecture about evolution. He shared a number of different statements from different religious figures about evolution, all more or less saying something to the effect of, God may well have used evolution to accomplish the creation. I remember sitting in my seat, biting my tongue, but still dismissing everything the instructor was saying. Until he shared what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had to say on the matter. I remember my eyes probably popped out of my head a little. But sure enough, he read a number of statements from church leaders on the topic, including Heber J. Grant's memorandum to the Council of the Twelve, First Council of the Seventy and presiding bishopric, in 1931, and I quote, Leave geology, biology, archaeology, and anthropology, none of which has to do with the salvation of the souls of mankind, to scientific research, while we magnify our calling in the realm of the church. I really bristled with that and was not just a little angry at having heard this. Obviously I thought this professor had taken that quote out of context. I knew that evolution was false. I was so perturbed at what the professor had said that I quickly visited with him after the lecture was over. I was not the only one who had questions. I had to wait for several minutes, but I didn't care what else was on my schedule. I was going to set that professor right and ask him not to misrepresent my faith's position on the matter. Fortunately, this guy was very patient with me as I brought up my concern. I was surely not that man's first experience with this kind of conversation and without yelling or shaking any fingers or demeaning me in any way, simply pointed out a few things to me that I hadn't considered. He again reiterated that he had shown, with full evidence in his lecture, that evolution was not just a theory, but it was just as much of a theory as gravity is a theory. For me, I remember him saying, it's not a matter of believing in evolution or not. The evidence for it is already there. I accept that evolution is a matter of fact, just as much as I would accept gravity as a matter of fact. He also helpfully pointed out something else to me that really sunk deep. You do know that BYU teaches evolution, right? He said. (laughs) So, that's kind of when the fuse of my temper went out and the steam from my collar dissipated and in their place, complete surprise took root instead. And he continued explaining that the quotes that he used today in class were from a packet that BYU had all its pre-med students read and study as part of their instruction on the subject. Mystified, I thanked him for his time and agreed that I'd consider what he said. He didn't say that I needed to believe or accept evolution incidentally. He simply had said that the choice to accept the facts that he had presented uh, was mine. And I had the funny feeling he wasn't going to be particularly upset if I ultimately chose to disagree with him. So I shelved the matter for a time, paying attention uh, to both scripture and science as I continued to learn about the topic. I didn't get all my questions answered right away. I did eventually transfer to BYU and was somehow surprised when the instructors there taught me the very same things about evolution that the instructor at Utah Valley University had taught. But this time, I was much less interested in proving myself right than I was in just getting to the bottom of the question once and for all. I learned that the church as an organization has never actually come out for or against evolution. The more I read different church leaders' points of view on the subject, I became convinced of a few things. The first thing that I learned from all of this was that Church leaders are not perfect. I still have that copy of Answers to Gospel Questions, and it has a treasured place in my gospel library to this day. But I do now understand much better the preface to that book, where it does state quite clearly that uh, President Smith's views as shared in that book are his and his alone. Henry Iring, James E. Talmadge, and many other scientists who also held callings of authority in the church had uh, on the other hand invited members over the years to embrace scientific truths so does all this mean that joseph fielding smith who was at one time a president of the church a false prophet no i do feel personally that he was mistaken on the issue of evolution but are the vast majority of the rest of his teachings in line with revealed scripture ancient and modern i can answer yes to that prophets are not infallible Their teachings on the doctrines of salvation can be relied on, uh, however. After all, I wouldn't go to President Russell M. Nelson to get his help on fixing my dishwasher. That's just not his field of expertise, insofar as I know. And if I were to be enough of a bother to go down to Salt Lake, walk into his office, and demand an explanation for why that washing machine door won't close, I don't expect that he'd be able to give me a complete or even perhaps accurate answer. That is simply not his calling fixing washing machine doors is a matter of engineering, not a matter of scripture. And I have found that the same is the case with answering questions about evolution. It's a matter of science, not a matter of scripture. The second thing that I had learned through this whole process is that all truth really can be circumscribed into one great whole. Nothing I had learned about evolution itself discounted the possibility of the existence of a Heavenly Father. In fact, I had found the saying from Elder Bruce R. McConkie's Encyclopedia of Mormonism that the scriptures tell why man was created, but they do not tell how to be 100% valid. So how is it that evolution can be a thing and the story of Adam and Eve can be a thing at the same time? You know, I still do not know for sure. But my testimony of the gospel isn't reliant on how evolution fits into the scriptures. Testimonies are grown and cultivated through faithful obedience to restored gospel truths, not distilled in a test tube or calculated from test results. After all, one of the very first things that any good science instructor also taught me is that the scientific method cannot be used to establish qualitative truths. That is, it cannot establish whether something is good or bad, only that something is or isn't. So, that's the story. I know, uh, it was a bit long, but my objective in sharing it the way that I did was to hopefully defuse this discussion before we get into some of the specifics of evolution. I do personally accept the evidence that evolution was the primary means by which the modern human came about. But, I also see no conflict between that statement and my faith that I accept Adam and Eve as the primary progenitors of the human race and that we are God's children created in His image. And while there are still a great many details about the creation of this world that are yet to be figured out, I trust the saying that all truth can be circumscribed into one great whole. The answers are out there, and I trust that in due course, God will permit dedicated, hardworking scientists to learn many more answers about the creation. So, my experience in learning about evolution also highlighted something very important that was pointed out in a New Era magazine in 2016. It quoted Dr. Richard Gardner, a faithful member of the church, and a molecular and cell biologist about believing in a god of the gaps. Reading this now, I know I definitely fit who he's describing to a T. Some people, uh, he wrote, have believed in God because there are gaps in the fossil record, meaning to them that evolution cannot explain how we got here. But what happens to our faith when these gaps are closed by the discovery of new fossils? Rather, we need to obtain positive evidence of God through the Holy Ghost, and then we can rejoice in any scientific discovery instead of worrying about it. Or, in other words, The only way to build a secure testimony is through personal revelation, not through an absence of scientific explanation for how we got here, because that void is rapidly filling up. Now, again, to clarify, my objective in sharing all this information has been to prove or disprove creationism or evolution, but hopefully I have at least made it clear where I am coming from on the matter. And hopefully I've at least made a semi-decent case for us to not light our torches and rally the troops whenever we hear deferring opinion on this issue. There are good and faithful members of the church who accept evolution as a fact. And there are good and faithful members of the church who don't. And guess what? Evolution is not and likely never will be a temple recommend question. Church leaders throughout history, and possibly even today, have differing views on evolution, and yet we do not see the same bickering, contentious arguments break out among them that we sometimes unfortunately see elsewhere in the world on this topic. Accepting that other people have radically different points of view and that those other people can be just as worthwhile, smart, intelligent, and worthy as you is one of the great challenges of becoming an adult. At least it is for me. Kudos to those of you out there who have an easier time of uh, doing this than I do. So, now that I have beat that horse to a pulp, excuse my metaphorical animal abuse, what I'd like to do now is explain some of the history involved with evolution. I won't go into the science of it as that's not my focus here. I did eventually, after all, switch away from my public health major and decided to go into history teaching. Maybe I'll share that story another day, but for now, uh, let's uh, get uh, to uh, this topic. If you are interested in learning more about the evidences of evolution though, I mean, they are are pretty easy to find. I'll include a link in the episode description to a fairly nice general overview of the science of evolution from the National Library of Medicine. Uh, That's a pretty good starting place. But uh, for us, the earliest organism that we can trace directly through the fossil record is the species Australopithecus, which lived about uh, three million years ago. The most human aspects of these individuals were that they could walk upright and use tools. But that's about as far as the similarities extend. For those of you wanting to keep track, yes, this is the species from which we get that famous Lucy uh, fossil. The next step towards humanity was the first member of the genus Homo, that is Homo habilis. They emerged about two and a half million years ago. They had less of a furry face, from what we can tell, and smaller teeth. Their big accomplishment was that they could create their own stone tools. Hence their scientific name, literally meaning handyman. And about two million years ago, we see the emergence of Homo erectus emerging in East Africa. This was a major leap forward, uh, pardon the pun, because these individuals could stand upright. This means that they were on the ground a lot more often. Digestive organs began to come to rest lower in the abdomen, making it necessary for these pre-humans to eat less of the rougher vegetables and go after the more easily digestible nuts and berries. And because the hands were now free, more sophisticated tool making took place. And it's probably a good thing too, because since we're on the ground now, having those more sophisticated tools to ward off predators was increasingly important. What I have found really fascinating, however, is that as these early period humans developed larger and larger brains, they weren't just living smarter, they were also caring for each other more. Fossils of individuals who died much later than the injuries or diseases we've found in their bones would possibly allow have led scientists to conclude that they were taking care of each other. Eventually, Homo erectus did begin a massive migration out from Africa, giving rise to several other species in the genus Homo. This burst of speciation, that is the generation of new species, took place about 1.5 million years ago, and so while we aren't sure what spurred this migration, we do know the climate was changing, and as any good hunter will tell you, you gotta go where the game goes. So. Fast forward several thousand years and you find suddenly that Homo sapiens, the modern human, is the only predominant member of the genus Homo left on the planet. There is still a lot of scientific ambiguity as to exactly how this took place. One commonly accepted explanation holds that Homo sapiens undertook a massive migration out of Africa, like uh, Homo erectus did much earlier but they competed for resources much more easily than the other species of Homo out there. Another explanation holds that Homo sapiens evolved in several different places at around the same time, which might begin to explain some of the subtle visual differences between different peoples on the Earth today. What really happened? We just simply do not know for sure. There is an argument to be made that both explanations are correct. And there is still so much more about this early history that we simply don't know. And each new discovery that I hear about just leaves me with a sense of awe. For example, it recently came out that one of these early humans, the Homo naledi, may have been the first living beings to perform burials for their dead. Now, these claims haven't been 100% verified yet. But, for me, when I hear about something like that, I can't help but think, Wow! This brings up so many more questions. But, unlike earlier in my life, when I would become disconcerted with these new questions, especially about human origins, I've tried to better follow the advice of that same New Era article and rejoice in scientific discovery. Each new discovery is one small step towards filling in those remaining gaps and getting better, more comprehensive answers to some of the most fascinating mysteries of our existence. And I trust that at some point, we will learn how it all fits together. For now, we are limited in our understanding, but I know that as we faithfully pursue the truth, whether it be scientific or spiritual, God will provide a way for us to receive those answers when we are ready for them. So, that finishes us for today's episode on Human Origins. Thank you so much for listening. Do you have a comment or a question about something I shared in the episode? Go ahead and leave us a voice message if you're using the Spotify platform, and if not, feel free to leave a review or a comment as your selected podcast listening platform allows. Also, be sure to go on ahead and listen to our next episode on the Paleolithic Age, where, if I'm successful, I'll hopefully get you to question whether you are really living a better life than cave people did so uh i would like to thank everyone who has supported the launch of this podcast including my lovely wife my kids and my loving uh, brother-in-law spencer for suggesting i go through with this idea and again thank you for listening and stay safe out there